Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my hearts on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. May your word live in us. Well, good morning, everyone. If you want to just keep your uh, Bibles open to the psalm. I'm Hannah, Hannah Craven, a member of the faculty here this morning. I think I've met most of you, but there might still be a few of you. Um, It's great that you're here with us this morning. Is anybody here for the first time at Ridley today? Yes, welcome. (laughs) It's great to have you. And uh, here you go. Um, well, this week we're this week and next we're preaching through Psalm 119. Um, so you've missed the first few sections, and uh, you may miss some more next week. But that's okay. Um, you just kind of get what you get when you come to chapel each day. Um, I wonder, uh, if, Jackson, if we can have the first slide. How many you have seen, uh, or maybe you have in your home, a piece of decor like this? Live laugh, love. Uh, I'm allowed to talk about this because apparently I am the person of the age and stage who has live, laugh, love energy. Uh, it's, it's apparently Gen X kind of mums. Uh, so I'm allowed to talk about this, but I apologise if this hits a bit close to the bone for you. Uh, live, laugh, love is a inspirational, motivational kind of saying or motto maybe for life that became popular really in decor, I think, (laughs) mostly. I don't know where else you see it in the kind of 2000s, 2010s. Um, We don't know why these things kind of, you know, come and go as they do. Um, But originally, the kind of original source of this phrase comes from a poem from 1904 uh, by a woman called Bessie Anderson Stanley, written uh, to the prompt of success. And her poem begins with this sentence. He achieves success, who has lived well, laughed often, and loved much. I think that's where it kind of comes from and it gets, it's been reduced down to this live, laugh, love, which you can get on a mug, on a cushion, on a, a wall, decal, <laughs> uh, anywhere you want it really. I think you can get it printed. Um, and actually, uh, yeah, there you go, live, and I don't know, you could change it. So live every moment, laugh every day, love beyond words. You can say whatever you want, basically. Um, uh, I had a little bit of fun actually looking this up on the internet, just sort of thinking about live, laugh, love, but I just want to reiterate this is not proper research. Don't do this for your essays. Um, but Wikipedia says this. I thought this <laughs> was hilarious. It says, live, laugh, love is a motivational three-word phrase that became a popular slogan in home decor in the late 2000s, early 2010s. 
By extension, the saying has also become pejoratively associated with a style of basic Generation X decor and with what has been described as speaking to the manager shallowness. <laughs> Live, laugh, love, it says, is the battle cry of Facebook mums who share minion memes. Basically, it's Karens who are passionate about living, laughing and loving. So this is women like me. Uh, I was going to kind of, you know, rip into Live, Laugh, Love, but I don't need to because the young people are doing it already. Apparently, Gen Zs see Live, Laugh, Love as the kind of epitome of the inauthenticity of the older generations. Shorthand for shallow and without true substance. Apparently, it's also part of, and Bianca taught me this word last semester, but I still have no idea what it means, the chuggy aesthetic. Did I say that right? Chuggy? No. <laughs> so I'm feeling uh, cut down, and now I'm feeling the need to defend live, laugh, love. Because actually the, pro the problem with this slogan is not so much uh, what it aims at, but that it, it, it patently gives us no idea of how to get there, of how to achieve it. Uh, I can buy the sign from Bunnings and I can put it up on my wall. I might want to live, laugh, love. But what does that mean? And how can I actually make it happen? The slogan feels so shallow on a coffee cup or a key rack because it raises deep, deep questions actually and desires and needs that my Bunnings decor will not fill. Where do I go to know how to live well? Where do I go to know what a good life looks like? Where will I find real joy? Where will I find love? to know how to love and be loved, to love rightly and truly. As it turns out, live, laugh, love are actually things the Bible is deeply concerned with. That Psalm 119 is deeply and profoundly concerned with as well. I thought of it because as I read through this psalm, I noticed these words. And if you've read the whole psalm, uh, Maybe you've noticed it too, the, the regular plea for life, for the preservation of life, that God will sustain life, preserve life. The acknowledgement that God is kind of literally the creator and sustainer of life, but, but more than that, that it's God who, who brings life in the darkness and the depths, comfort, strength, hope. There's a repeated affirmation in this psalm about joy and delight. And though the word itself is not there, it is a psalm about the love of God, about God's love that is shown to us in his faithfulness, his steadfastness, his goodness that is experienced when we walk in his ways.
So I decided to call Psalm 119. Live love, Taraz version. This is, uh, it's not Taylor's version, it's Taraz version. And if you don't know what this means, that's fine, don't worry. Uh, live, laugh, love, Taraz version. Um, the, the whole psalm, actually, I don't know if you've noticed, is kind of vague in a sense. If this was an essay that you submitted to me at Ridley, I'd probably circle lots of spots and say, vague, what do you mean? What, you know, what are you referring to? It says, I love your laws, I love your commands. I'd say, which ones? You know, reference, right? Which ones? Uh, for a person who's so in love with God's laws, God's commands, God's statutes, God's, I mean, he, he never even cites any of them, right? Which laws? Is this about, like, not mixing our fabrics and our clothing? Is it about, you know, laws about food? Is it about laws about property or land? Uh, none of them are kind of cited specifically, and I don't think any of the specific laws are actually kind of meant as the particular thing that he's Um, loving in that moment. But God's law in this psalm, God's statutes, God's decrees, God's ways, God's precepts, God's commands, uh, all of these words are are kind of a stand-in for God himself. God, God's presence that he gives to us in his word. His word, his law, his commands as an expression of himself and his goodness. Because in God's law and on God's path and in God's ways is the goodness of God himself. That's the picture in this psalm. How to live well, how to find joy, how to know faithful love, it's in the Lord. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. The Lord preserves their life. In the Lord we find delight. His love surrounds us. If you are taking uh, Old Testament, maybe you've taken it before or uh, just this semester, you might have heard of an Old Testament uh, scholar, commentator called Walter Brueggemann. He's a scholar who I love to read, Um, has some really interesting, actually I like his books of prayers and other things as well as his work on the Bible. And he kind of has this way, I feel, of, of connecting the ancient worlds with really modern issues and questions that that connects well with me and I thought you know Psalm 119 this is tricky I'm going to see what Walter Brueggemann has to say he's going to say something good it's going to help me love this psalm. Walter Brueggemann opens his commentary on Psalm 119 with these words Psalm 119 is of course the longest psalm it is also notoriously rated to be boring repetitious and without plot development. So uh, when commentators are saying stuff like this, you know you're really in trouble (laughs) when you're reading the Bible. Someone else says Psalm 119 has no structural principle, no argument or development. It covers a number of themes but raises them uh, rather than expounding them systematically. 
It uses words with no more order than in a kaleidoscope. This is pretty harsh. Even Calvin said he wasn't sure what it was really about. Uh, St. Augustine said, the psalm doesn't need to be preached. It just needs to be read and heard. But now I wonder if that's just because he didn't want to preach a sermon on it because he didn't know what to say about it. Uh, it's it's kind of a tricky one. And, and um, the faculty have been asked each day as they've got up to preach, you know, when was the last time you read this psalm all through in one sitting? And, and up until me today, they most have said, oh, never. But uh, I wanted you to ask me because I actually have read it. Uh, <laughs> yesterday um, but uh, my family's been reading the bible together every night at dinner time um, this was an initiative of my son when he came home from VCYC he said mom we need to read the bible together so we read the bible every night at dinner time and we've been reading the psalms and I've suggested psalm 119 and we've we've been working on it over a few nights because it's such a long psalm Last night I said, let's, let's do some more Psalm 119. It was basically rebellion at the dinner table. They've had enough of Psalm 119. My son said, I've got it, right? We've read it enough. I've got it. Uh, and if you try and read it, it does feel repetitive. Maybe it's just the, the length or maybe it's that this acrostic technique you know, of poetry kind of forces it to write in a certain way that does feel disorganised. Um, but the point of this poem, uh, Psalm 119, is an, is an acrostic poem. It goes through the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, a section on each letter. Um, the point of that technique is this, this comprehensiveness, as Andy talked about a couple of days ago you know, saying kind of everything about the law, God's law, God's word. Maybe part of it is to kind of overwhelm you, overwhelm you with this idea that you've got to love the law of the Lord. By the time you get to the end of it, it's like, okay, you know, I get it. Comprehensiveness is part of a feature of this um, structure, but it's also comprehensive in a different way too, I think, not just kind of lots of words of the law and lots of ways of thinking about the law. Uh, it's also comprehensive in its range of feeling. And I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, my friend, her name's actually Karen. Uh, she sent me this picture the other day and she said, uh, Hannah, I've got all the feels. This is a collection of feels. To use, you know, to help us express our feelings so we can look at the toys. This psalm has all the feels. It opens with these strong statements of faith that we've heard these last couple of days, affirmations of trust, declarations of obedience. But as it goes on, it changes. And, and we started to see a bit of that change in the passage that we read today. This is why you do have to read the whole thing. You have to keep going. You have to go through uh, all these different parts of a life lived under God with all the feels. In places, it's a lament, quite a desperate lament. There's energy, there's excitement, there's commitment, there's joy, there's confusion, discouragement, anger, despair, there's helplessness, hopelessness, fear. There's trust, there's hope. 
any number of things which you might be feeling today, this week as you start at Ribbon, or whatever it is that's going on in your life. And yet somehow, whatever the feeling, whatever the situation, whatever the expression, uh, God's word, God's law is the focus of all of them. He loves God's law. He praises God's law. He's committed to God's law. He fails at God's law. He needs God's law. He's blind to God's law. He can't see it. He uh, can see it and he loves it. He pleads for it. He trusts it. Everything is kind of swirling around this pure and perfect centre of the Lord and his ways. So verse 17, where we started our reading today, is the first of these shifts. Andy uh, spoke from the first section on Tuesday, Brian, yesterday. Andy encouraged us to make a vow, a commitment of obedience to the Lord. And Brian uh, taught us about, about staying on the path of purity. We affirm, we praise, we commit Here we shift in verse 17 to something more like a plea. It seems like the author is in trouble. They sit together and slander me. They show scorn and contempt. Verse 25, I'm laid low in the dust. My soul is weary with sorrow. We don't know exactly the circumstances. But now it begins in his life to to not feel like it's true, this affirmation that he said in verse 1, that blessed is the the life of the one who walks with the Lord. It doesn't feel that way. And so we begin to see not affirmations but pleas, desperate prayers and requests. What we see in this section is that Alongside the psalmist's commitment to walk in the ways of the Lord, he needs God's help to do it. We all do. He needs God's help to do exactly the things he said that he would do, that he loved to do, that he was so excited about doing. Now we see him say, Lord, please help me to do it. So we don't just need uh, to want these things. We can't just speak them out into the universe and have them appear, put them on our wall and make them so. Just commit to them and make them so. We need God's help to make them so. Commitment alone won't do it. Desire alone won't do it. Fear alone won't do it. Thinking alone won't do it. We need God's transforming power every step of the way. The psalmist asks God for help. Verse 17, that I may obey your word. Verse 18, that God would open his eyes to see his word as good. Verse 19, that God would not hide his word from him. We need God's help to know his will, to see it, to hear it, to understand it. Even when we know it, we need God's help to obey it, to choose it, 
And even when we know it and when we choose it, we need God's help to love it, to enjoy it. We need God's help for it all. What about uh, verse 20? My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times, he says. Maybe, you know, this sounds like a kind of uh, gung-ho affirmation, you know, I'm keen on God's law at all times. I don't think it is. I think there's a bit of bite in there, some anguish. It's longing not just for knowing God's law but, but the actualizing of God's law, for it to be real in, in his life, in the world, the goodness of God, life as it's meant to be. When you are laid low, cut down, strung out under pressure, what do you long for? Is it God's law? You long for something better, something good, but where from? And how do we find the goodness that we crave in those moments? And what does it have to do with God's law? In verse 25, he pleads with the Lord to preserve his life. 26, Teach me your decrees. 27, cause me to understand. 28, strengthen me. 29, keep me from deceitful ways. Teach me your law. God is good to us in giving us his law. God is good to us in that keeping his law is good for us. It is the good life. But imagine if God left us there with no ability or power to actually keep it. Holding it out as this thing uh, where goodness is found, but actually we can't keep it. We can't walk it. We can't do it. That would not be good. That would be really, really harsh. Here is where goodness is found, but that is a path you cannot walk on your own strength. But that is not what God does. God makes it possible, and this is the psalmist's plea, and this is his testimony that God is faithful to it. God is the one who reveals, who helps us see, who helps us know, who empowers us to choose, who empowers us to call, who empowers us to keep on the path of his ways. This is what we must remember. And so we see this movement between verses 25 and 32. Starts, I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life. Uh, I have a picture of uh, someone in the rubble. Maybe this is the kind of image <laughs> I was just talking with someone about. Um, my uh, husband recently had an accident playing basketball where he got knocked down and squashed and broke both of his collarbones. And uh, I was reminded, actually, that, you know, he, he said it was about 20 minutes before he was able to actually get up of the, off the floor. And I thought that, that feeling of um, being laid low, of not being able to pick yourself up and get on, <laughs> That's where he starts. I'm laid low in the dust. 
preserve my life. He pleads, teach me your decrees, cause me to understand, strengthen me, keep me from your deceitful ways, teach me your law. And then verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart. I hold fast. Look how this language moves maybe from his head to his heart, to his hands, and then to the whole body at the end. I run in the path of your commands. It's a gorgeous picture of the joy of living in the goodness of God. Maybe it's only a good picture if you like running, and if you don't like running, maybe it's a terrible picture of living in the goodness of God. But this movement from being laid low to running in the path of God's commands. It's like an ad for the Ridley Run Club. You too can experience the joy of the Lord, run around Princess Park every Thursday morning. God answered his prayer and he brought him here. From laid low in the dust to running the path, from not seeing, not understanding, to embracing a vision of true goodness. Maybe this connects uh, for you to feelings of freedom, of strength, of joy, discipline and hard work too, but deep goodness. We notice though that at the end of each of these sections, verse 24 and 32, we've got this kind of shift to the goodness, but we don't know whether any of these situations have changed. Things are bad, they might still be bad. But the author's resolution to trust in God, to call on him, to hold fast to God, his plea that God would make that goodness possible brings delight, even if the situation hasn't changed. So as you begin this new semester at Ridley, your first, perhaps, your second, maybe it's your tenth, commit yourself to follow God's ways. Yes. Be careful to stay in the path of purity. Yes. But don't forget to ask for God's help. Not just when you feel you need it, but even when you don't, maybe even then. He's the only one that can help you to know, to understand, to love and to follow his ways. Perhaps when you came to Ridley, you thought that you were here to fill your brain with knowledge, to learn things, to master the Bible. When you arrived, uh, or as maybe here now in your first week, perhaps you've realised that, that we have a slightly different agenda for you here. We want you to know things, yes. We want you to be faithful handlers of God's word who will build up God's people in truth of the gospel of Jesus. But more than that, we want to form you into whole people who journey their whole lives long on the Lord's path. No matter how many twists and turns and ups and downs and spirals your journey takes, and it's not always a straight path, but people who in the middle of that whirlpool or that hurricane or whatever that path looks like for you 
have your eyes fixed and your heart fixed and your hands held fast and your soul anchored in the good and perfect and faithful God. Doesn't just command you to walk on that path, who doesn't just show you that there is a path, who doesn't just call to you from afar that you must come, but who walks with you and who holds you and who keeps you steady if you'll ask him. That's where the freedom is. Not just force of will, not just fear of punishment, not just people pleasing or white knuckling it out, but the gentle and strong hand of the Lord which carries us. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your world. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding.